It's December. It gets dark outside at 3.30 p.m. now. Have something to look forward to and apply for a Shorty Award. Entries are now open for the 2024 Shorty Awards in New York. Go to shortywards.com to apply. Welcome to It's No Fluke, where nothing happens by accident, and every creator's journey is way more impactful than the destination. We don't shy away from a topic. Today, we are chatting about Prepare for Misuse, a powerful campaign for gun safety that instantly grabs your attention. This isn't your average conversation, and there's never a wrong time to have a conversation about guns. We're joined by Susan Lavington, Chief Operating Officer of Brady, Ro Patrick, SVP for the Ad Council, Alex Schulhafer, Executive Creative Director for McKinney, to discuss the campaign, how it was important to tell it from the perspective of a gun owner, their thoughts, their motivations, their concerns, and how it's going to take bringing everyone into the conversation to make real impact. Let's go. much for joining. Susan, when you went to tell this story from a creative standpoint, um, first of all, what needed to be said and talk to me a little bit about the process of getting this campaign made. Sure. Um, thank you, Jeff. We well, we'll go back in time about five or six years and uh, to the launch of what we call the End Family Fire campaign, of which uh, the safe, um, uh, this particular um, piece of creative is uh, the prepare for misuse creative is a part of our end family fire campaign. So we, um, about five or six years ago, we realized that the conversation's really broken about gun violence. I mean, we've known that for a long time. It's really broken in many ways. And one of the things, one of the groups that has been left out of the conversation largely or feels left out are gun owners. And they're a key piece of the solution to gun violence. So we started um, imagining and working with Ad Council and coming up with an idea of working around working with uh, gun owners around safe storage. And mm -hmm. that was really the genesis of the End Family Fire campaign, which has been going on since then. And we did a ton of research and a ton of investigation into if gun owners were going to be six were going to be particularly interested and receptive to messaging about safe storage and found they were. And that was the genesis of our End Family Fire campaign, which has been enormously successful. And I'm sure Roe from the Ad Council can give you all the stats on how successful the campaign has been since it launched. And um, these particular pieces of creative were um, just the newest iterations of um, that strategy that started about five or six years ago around End Family Fire. And I can pick, pitch it to Ro to talk more about how that strategy has evolved. I love this. Ro, thank you. This Susan, you are doing my work for me. Continue. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Susan. So yeah, so as Susan mentioned, you know, End Family Fire is the, is the creative platform that uh, we created out of the gate 2018. And in the last four to five years, we've really focused our efforts on talking about unintentional shooting and, and really talking to parents who are gun owners about, you know, their kids getting a hold of a gun that may be in the bedside drawer um, and unintentionally you know, harming themselves or others. So that's one area that we've been really focused on. And then the other area is around gun suicide, which makes up the majority of gun deaths. And 
we've done multiple rounds of work around those two issues because together they make up the majority of gun deaths. And that's, we, we look at the data, we look at really where mm. it's important to put our efforts, right? But as we all know, what makes the headlines? It's yeah. not the unintentional shooting. It's, it's unfortunately not the gun suicides. It's the mass shootings, the school shootings, the awful, awful tragedies that we hear every day. And, you know, when we look at the data around gun deaths, they make up, mass shootings make up about 1% of overall gun deaths. And that's surprising to a lot of people, right? Because the, the balance of the media attention, the balance of how that galvanizes culture and society and the conversation is very, it's it's a much, much bigger proportion than actually when, it, when we look at the numbers. But we also know that access to a firearm, you know, when there shouldn't be access, also can affect those mass shootings. So if we if we talk to gun owners and say, hey, you need to keep your guns secured, we're not only preventing those unintentional shootings, the gun suicides, we're also preventing intentional shootings. So with this effort, we really was the first time since we've launched and Family Fire in 2018 that we said, let's include intentional shooting. Let's include school shooting in the conversation and and make sure that one, when these tragedies happen, that there's there's content that folks can pick up that there is a solution. Cause I know we all feel so helpless when we hear it, when we, you know, in the morning, it's like, Oh God, like what can we do? And a lot of the folks um, that we work with in, in media, media partners are like, do you have PSAs that talk about mass shootings and school shootings? And, you know, for a long time we did it because again, we looked at the data and it's only a pretty small percentage of that, but we understand that's where a lot of heart and passion is and we wanted to include that as part of our message. So the the misuse campaign really came from wanting to expand the focus mm -hmm. of and family fire and really include the the intentional shooting, um, and that's the genesis of it. And then we we sort of handed it over to the geniuses over at McKinney to to help us figure out how do we bring that into a conversation around safe storage that still makes sense, that still feels cohesive, that feels new. Um, and that's, that's really all Alex's team and, and their genius. Again, and, and this sorry, is- Sorry, Jeff. Yes, you're doing my work for me and I love great, it. Great. Go ahead, I'll just add, Ro does such a great job of, of summarizing the whole strategy. And I'll say it was very intentional since we're talking about storytelling, yes. about what Ro just walked through in terms of how we unfolded the story about safe storage. So starting with, um, unintentional shootings in the home, a la toddler finds gun and, um, you know, accidentally shoots sibling. Um, that was a very uncontroversial um, step in point to yeah. end family fire, right? I think everybody can agree that that's a tragedy that sh we should all be trying to stop, right? And so that was a very intentional step in with the idea that we would start there and then we wanted to grow into the suicide conversation, which mm -hmm. is, and gun suicide, which was a more controversial, touchy topic. Thankfully, mental health has taken a much more, um, has become much more mainstream as a conversation in the last few years. And that's helped us add to that conversation with um, bringing and family fire and talking about safe gun storage um, uh, in, in as part of that. So it has been a very thoughtful approach, as Ro mentioned, leap thinking through the whole way of how do we evolve this conversation as a society? Um, 
and move it from something we can uh, all agree on to something that's maybe a little bit more sensitive to maybe as Roe is now saying, how do we start to talk about what's really grabbing the headlines um, in a lot of ways? So it's been a very intentional evolution of the conversation. And as Roe mentioned, we can have Alex, as we brought her uh, and McKinney through that whole process, talk about, okay, we've had this very intentional conversation. How do we fold this piece into it? Yeah, Alex, how do you tell really hard stories in an impactful way? Because I will say before I let you go, this this gets you immediately and it is it is well done and it's well produced. Again, this is an audio medium. People check it out. But yes, please unpack how you take this and drive it home immediately. Yeah, well, the challenge came to us and I worked on previous work with Ad Council and Brady around suicide, which is a really tough topic. Mm-hmm. And then the challenge here was how do we talk about all three of these things together? And they're very different. They're very different scenarios. So what we did is we started with strategy and really thinking about what ties these together. It's the reason why a gun owner has a gun in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. They want to protect their family. And when you listen to what gun owners have to say about why not only they own a gun, but why they keep a gun um, out of a gun safe, right? Because many gun owners, they might have their hunting guns in a gun safe, but then they've got that one handgun that's out. Maybe it's in a bedside table. It's somewhere close. So they're prepared. They want to be prepared if um, someone breaks into their house, if the unimaginable happens. But what's in their minds is that unimaginable is um, an outside force coming in. And they're really never thinking about what inside factors in their own homes, um, what role those play. So coming into this campaign, we were like, okay, let's take that insight about why gun owners have a gun in the first place. Let's flip it on its head to really grab their attention. So uh, let's have a gun owner talk directly to camera and really address their mindset, what gun owners are thinking about and why they need to be prepared, why they have this, not only a gun, but a gun that is unlocked um, in the first place. And then flip that and show them their worst nightmare, which is the the forces inside their their house, their their teenage son, um, their daughter, potentially harming themselves or harming, um, in the case of this, uh, the man's wife, and then ending also with the unimaginable at the at the end that we see in the news, or not the unimaginable, unfortunately, the thing we yeah. see almost every day of um, a mass shooting that has been committed outside of the home. So um, what we were looking to show is this um, scenario that all happens in one room and it's kind of all these possibilities that, that could happen and really forcing gun owners to have a look um, at themselves and their habits and um, coming at them from a perspective of understanding we get you. This 
this guy who's talking to you, he is a gun owner too. He, he is here to be prepared, but are you prepared for misuse yeah. of those around you the same way you're prepared for the use of protecting your family? Um, so yeah, that was really the genesis of, of this campaign and, and what got us to this story. Um, and then we were really fortunate to find some production partners, um, the Tao brothers who are gun owners themselves. And when they read this initial script, one of them actually said, this is me. Like this made him get a gun safe for the gun that he kept um, in his bedroom because he was like, wow, I, I have my nephew coming to stay with me. And this just made it flash in front of my eyes, the behavior I'm doing that um, could cause harm to those I love around me. I didn't want to step on prepare for misuse. I knew you were going to get there. Like there was a, I had this inclination early on that I wanted to, I wanted to say it for people because that's so strong, but you did a wonderful job of, of laying it all out because what is so often the case when we're talking about advocacy is that, and especially currently that the conversation can be coming from somebody who's not from that community. So there is very much a, an initial pushback, right? That is, well, you don't understand this, right? And so I love the intentional notion of, and I mean, really candidly, you know, you have one group who is already interested in this, right? It's more about how do you bring people from the middle perspective or the opposite perspective to at least entertain the idea, right? That's kind of the whole point of advocacy. That was that was the part that stood out. That's that I mean, that's really the reason why we're having this conversation today, that specific conversation, because I don't think there's enough of putting yourself in the other person's shoes to tell the story um, that exists out there. And that part I, I absolutely loved. Absolutely. I, I think we often, you know, advocacy groups, whether it's um, around gun violence and gun safety, generally the people having the larger conversation around that, they're not um, the audience we're talking to. So a lot of, I think, PSAs sometimes um, are very well intended, but maybe not really resonating with the audience that they need to. Um, and in all of the work that we do with Brady and on In Family Fire, we're very intentionally trying to get into the mindset of gun owners um, because ending the epidemic of gun violence in our country, it doesn't, it's not going to be a single solution. It's yeah. changes in policy, it's changes in behavior, um, and it's lots of, of little things that are going to equal a larger cultural change. And so this specifically is a part of a larger effort, specifically talking to gun owners, to get them to change their behavior. We're not trying to take guns away mm -hmm. because there's lots of people trying to do that potentially. We're trying to change your behavior and just get you to be safe because there's so much proven data that the steps to unlock a gun from a gun safe save lives and will make a difference. 
you know, there's some statistics. I I I want to I want to get into the statistical nature of it first, but to close the loop on that, um, for President Obama in an interview, I'm you know this will air in a different time, so I don't want to exactly say the time date, but. A couple of weeks ago, former President Obama says uh, about a different topic. He he said very plainly, we never convince people by telling them that our idea is right and your idea is wrong. Yep. Yep. And Absolutely. that that resonates to me. Ro, those stats that you threw out there are so striking because of it's the balance between what we talk about, what grabs the headlines, but also what grabs us emotionally versus what you know, there's emotion and then there's data, right? right. And you're, you, you lay it out perfectly about the, what the data is, right? And then add, but yes, we also have to acknowledge that people are paying attention to specific things. As, as you go forward with this, um, how does this evolve? How does this adapt? You know, where, where does this go next? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the common thread at the end of the day for N Family Fire is our call to action, right? Yeah. There are different types of shootings, there are different types of tragedy that happens, and so we're now including intentional, but we're still talking about unintentional shooting. We're still talking about gun suicide, but at the end of the day, this is about safe storage. So, and it's also about limiting access to those who shouldn't have access to a firearm and it's it's in the moments that they shouldn't so that we we define it as a not a who but a when and the and the term mm -hmm. when is actually it's the operative word so when you are young so as a child you should not have access to a firearm it's when you are displaying risk factors that you may harm yourself or others so when you're in crisis it doesn't mean you'll never never have a gun when you're you, it's it's when in those moments you shouldn't so i think that's that is the common thread across all of this is around access so as we continue to build out and family fire and the types of gun violence that we're talking about it all goes back to bringing gun owners into the conversation it all goes back to if you have a gun and if you have multiple guns you need to make sure every single one of them are stored locked unloaded and away from ammo that is that is the common thread and i think even if you go back to the data um we know that you know even when you talk about school shootings that 76 percent of school shooters get their gun from friends and family so safe storage message will help prevent those tragedies so it's it all like the data and the emotion at the end of the day come together on this issue um, and I also want to just get back to one point that Alice was talking about, which is this, the difference here is that we're, we're trying to be talking to gun owners in a way that feels really respectful and empathetic. And mm -hmm. yeah. we also, you know, as part of the ad council process, everything we do is research based and data driven. So when we have a concept that the McKinney team came to us with on storyboards and we test it with gun owners in our target audience, we show them the work and we say, tell us what you think. Is this working? Is this not? Yeah. What, what does it make you do? What does it make you feel? And on this creative um, concepts, particularly, it was probably one of the strongest positive reactions we have gotten on really a, any of the work that we have done on this campaign. And, you know, we, we did video sort of video segments. They, so they recorded themselves talking about like their reactions to the work. And this one guy who's a gun owner, who's a parent, and he says, oh my God, I just watched your animatic or your storyboard. I'm gonna go, go buy a safe. 
and actually go and make sure my gun is secure. I never even thought about it. Like I thought I was being safe, but that terrified me. And I'm now going to do this to protect my kids. So it's one person's, you know, kind of diary, but we know that it's impactful. We know it's compelling. And we make sure of that by validating all of the work, by going back to our gun owners and say, hey, is this working for you? And this is doing what it's intended to and, and I think just to add to that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a somewhat of a misperception that there, there are two sides to this issue because yes. as all the research that we that even the polling data that you look out there, the political polling data, but then all the research that we've done as part of this program is the vast majority of gun owners are responsible gun owners. They want to be responsible with their guns. And as Roe mentioned, you know, they we all agree. It's you know, all of us, gun owners, non-gun owners, agree that those instances that Roe was talking about are times when people should not have access to a weapon, right? That is actually, there's fairly large agreement about around that, right? But unfortunately, going back to the conversation earlier, this conversation, like much of our discourse in America, has been put into a very binary place, right? And that there are two sides to it. When really there's there's one side, right, with gun owners and non-gunners, is we don't want people dying, you know, from guns. And so in what the vast majority of gun owners 100% agree with that and want to be a part of the solution. And so we are really through this effort, and it is somewhat revolutionary in GVP, um, gun violence prevention movement, is that we are trying to give voice, as Roe and Alex have talked about, to what the, the actual conversation is, right? As opposed to the politicized conversation that has unfortunately dominated much of the coverage about this issue. The actual conversation is not really political. It's about safety and taking care of our families and the vast majority of people are on board with that. Susan, I had a couple questions and you already like knocked out one of them, but so this is great. But um, again, I'm going to use an example from something unrelated to gun violence. It's a different quote from mm -hmm. Adam Kinzinger, which is that when ideology becomes identity, it's hard to have a conversation. You're alluding to that where, right. yes, once we get entrenched in beliefs, right, then we can't really have you know, a conversation. What I thought was powerful about, about this is that it starts to break through that a little bit. It starts yep. to break through the identity part of it and make people kind of fall back because you are right. As a person who lives in Michigan and lives in the Midwest and does work on the coast, but, you know, is every day living in the Midwest and, you know, I'll talk to people on the coast that are like, well, why aren't we doing so? Why, why <laughs> change is slow, right? Yeah. Uh, why aren't things happening? Um, and yes, there are a lot of responsible gun owners that you talk about. There's a lot of people that this is very important to. And so having that conversation um, is important. My question that I was going to ask you is just, this is a very patient, it is a very um, data-driven, very pragmatic approach. Mm -hmm. Change is slow. Advocacy mm -hmm. requires multiple groups. Like the audience is, yes, it's gun owners. Yes, yep. it's the general public, but it's also policymakers. It's everyone, right? Yep. So how do you, one, thread that needle as much yep. as possible? And two, how do you stay patient? <laughs> well, you know, the truth is we're very impatient because people are dying every day, right? Yes. And so that drives... 
that drives our work every single day, why the team at Brady and Roe and Alex, we get up out of bed every single day and take this super seriously. But we also understand, um, you know, I had a boss one time who said, plan your work and work your plan. The way to have impact, mm -hmm. right, is to have the discipline to do this right. And I think where efforts have missed in the past is that we're chasing after the issue without backing up and really doing the research and the understanding that is needed to have a long-term impact. Um, so, so we are impatient to get results, but we are very patient to do it correctly so we have the most impact because it's yeah. a waste of everybody's resources if we're not focused on impact as our number one uh, metric. To go back to how do we accelerate this, which is a great question, um, we've been working uh, quite a bit with folks in Hollywood lately. So this concept of modeling safe gun storage, if you think about it, uh, remember when everybody used to smoke in movies, right? Remember before people put their seatbelts on and movies and TV? Guess what? Hollywood made played a major role in modeling changes yes. in sort of everyday interaction. Gun safety is not something that has been modeled well by Hollywood. Like I always say, you know, you get back from shooting up the bad guy instead of throwing your gun on the kitchen table. Let's just show people walking in and, you know, taking out their ammunition and locking their gun away and locking their ammunition. Away. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, look at me, look what I'm doing. But let's just show it as normal as people getting in a car and putting on their seatbelt. So we have been um, working quite closely with folks out in Hollywood and it's gaining a lot of steam about how to start to model and show gun safety in just the everyday work that they're doing. Again, we're not saying let's take guns out of um, uh, media, right? Yeah. We're showing, saying, let's think about how we model responsible gun use. And that is a big avenue and can help change the, the sort of the, um, the mood of the company and all, of the country much faster. And, I'll, I'll, you know, if you look at the marriage equality movement, which is mm -hmm. one that we talk about a lot, is the marriage equality movement really was born out of the idea that the politics were broken. So then it was a step back and say, how can we change hearts and minds about the right to marry anybody you love? Mm -hmm. Right. And you think about how Hollywood paid, played a major role in that. You think about Will and Grace normalizing, right, same-sex relationships. So that's sort of what we're thinking here is we need to do that same step back and say, hey, yeah. we've got to normalize these conversations around safe gun storage. It can't be political. It's just part of what we do, like buckling your seatbelt, not driving drunk, all those sorts of things, right? Let's normalize them. This is one way we've been doing it through great storytelling and great PSAs, but Hollywood has a great role to play on that. And we believe that by shifting that, that you know, the hearts and minds, and we can make this a less political issue that will then follow with the political change that is critical um, to the solutions. Yeah, you need the jarring PSA, right? You then need the modeling because when yeah. you're talking about that, I've felt how off it feels when I see a cigarette on television now, right? 
And that was mm-hmm. so common, right? But then if you see it now in action, if, whether it's a period piece or something else, you're like, oh, can they do that? <laughs> you know, so while while the, applic- while the application of it, I'm having a hard time seeing how John Wick 5 does this. I do understand how you can make little steps that become bigger steps because Will and Grace was a step. Yep. To then even more inclusion, even Correct. even more important stories until you get to a show like Netflix is special, where, I mean, there are multiple layers of that kind of storytelling. Um, Alex, when, when you start these processes, and we, again, we kind of talked through the campaign a little bit, but how do you go through the process of getting into the mindset of in this case, a gun owner, but anybody who is, you know, maybe on the other side of an issue. Hmm, tough question. Um, <laughs> I wait, I wait, we wait. I, it's 20, it, I waited 28 minutes well, until I asked a hard one. So I think, um, you know, we've said this before, a lot starts with, with research. And mm-hmm. from a creative perspective, what I'm looking for in that is, insights of um, cultural tension points, things that feel really sticky, things that we can push off of. Um, Sometimes those are notions that are already in the cultural lexicon. Um, Things that can just be a little twist that you can then build a larger story off of. And it really makes people question things and think. So when it came to this campaign, prepare for misuse, you're building off of a phrase, prepare for use, mm-hmm. that we can all understand. Um, and you're building off of the gun owner's perception and why they're there, what they're thinking about. Why do they own a gun? Um, what is their mindset in the present moment and what's maybe keeping them from keeping from doing the behavior we're looking for them to do, which is store their gun um, safely um, locked and away from ammo, right? So um, that's what led us here in this in this case. And in every um, everything that I work on creatively, but specifically in this, we're really kind of trying to look at the research in strategy, um, really like dial in and see where can we push? Where's that sticky cultural tension point that we can push off of and really show people something that they're not expecting? Because when you can build off of something we already know (laughs) inherently, I think it, it helps to, to create a more provocative story that will, will change people's minds. And you have a finite amount of time to grab someone's attention in that medium too, right? Right. Yeah. The other thing with that is, you know, you're not using the term research kind of denotes that you are not bringing a preconceived notion or a preconceived idea into this, right? You're then letting the data and the research and everything else kind of inform your, your overall creative. But do you ever look at, um, well, you don't have to even get into specifics, but do you ever look at other things that have resonated, other things, you know, kind of storytelling ways 
that have been in other, you know, advocacy programs or even just in other creative and kind of pull from that? I mean, sure. We're always, I think if uh, a key, being a good creative, I think means being curious. I think it mm -hmm. means consuming a lot that's out there in the world. Um, and I think the best, I love when I'm jealous of someone else's work. It, it makes me think harder and do more. Um, I think there's a lot of work out there that's done a lot both in this space and and others and just in the world in general that is worth emulating and makes me think harder and work harder about what with what I'm doing. There's um, even within this campaign, there's many agencies that do work for for Brady. Um, and they actually last year got us all together to just talk about the last five years and everything we've collectively done. Um, and one of those campaigns, which was, again, a very simple twist, it was gun boxing videos. So we all know what unboxing videos are. Well, let's flip that on its head and let's change the conversation. And I thought that was such a smart way to talk about storage and, um, you know, you can have a little bit more of a long form conversation there yes. and um, really just expand the conversation. And so all these these different pieces of creative that live in the world under In Family Fire play a different role in changing someone's mind and hopefully having them look at their own behavior. And maybe it's the it's going out themselves and buying a gun safe. Maybe it's convincing a loved one to. Maybe it's just having a conversation when things do get too political to just talk about the real heart of the matter, which is we all want to stop unintentional gun violence and these horrible things we see on the news. And that's not a political issue. That's not about the right to have a gun or not have a gun. That's about how to have a gun and be responsible and be a responsible citizen, not a gun owner or not a gun owner. Yes. And, and I would say, Jeff, one of the things that, you know, um, uh, Alex hasn't uh, given herself enough credit for is that as an agency um, with this particular piece of creative, if you look at the other creative that we've done, I would say um, it's more, I'm trying to think of the best word, um, less grabby attention grabby, right? Yeah. So this, this piece of creative was definitely pushing the envelope for how we've um, messaged in the past around mm -hmm. that. And so that was very much as part of the evolution of the storytelling. It's something that we've talked about a lot in terms of how do we be more aggressive in the yeah. messaging and more, a more in your face without it being um a turnoff right because that's yeah. the opposite of what we're trying to do right right and so and so what alex and the team did was come up with a great way to make this more in your face um than any of the creative that we've done in the past um but still achieve that um ability to make it feel very relatable from a gun owner without 
them feeling attacked, right? Yeah. Which is not what we want to do. So, you know, I give Alex and team a lot of credit in that evolution and the storytelling, because that is an extremely hard, um, uh, you know, a thing to balance. And they did a great job. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's hard to watch, right? You know, like the first time mm -hmm. you watch the spot, yeah. you're, you know, and I've watched it now, I think a thousand times and you still like have that, like, oh my God, like this is, these are awful things that happen. But at the end of the day, we're trying to put the gun owner in, in, you know, our, our hero's shoes yeah. that these are terrible things and here is a solution. Yeah. And so I think, you know, to Susan's point, I think the McKinney team just took the brief and really delivered in a way that cut through a lot of the noise and, you know, balance it being hard hitting. Yes. And we also were very, very careful to make sure that we were also talking to the survivor community mm -hmm. who's lost once to gun suit, to gun violence, that it isn't too, too triggering, right. That it isn't like yeah. we've gone over the overboard and, and we've actually gotten very positive reactions from the survivor community that said, no, this is important. Please, please put this out there because this is an important message. So I think we we struck the right balance and um and you know, we're really proud that this work is award winning and really proud of the McKinney team that yeah. this happened because it is a very, very hard thing to do right. That's a really important note of the other side of that balancing act, right? We talk about, yes, you have to establish trust at the beginning with the gun owner so that they're drawn in and not tuning out. But then, yes, on the back end, you have to make sure that it is not so jarring. Um, Ro, I wanted, at this point, I wanted to kind of circle back when the relationship first starts with Brady or anyone that you work with. How extensive is kind of the data collection process and what you go into to kind of inform the decisions you make going forward? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. I think on this issue in particular, we wanted to make sure that we were making no assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. That we, we knew, we wanted to know what gun owners thought about just gun ownership, period, without even storage, and then get into, okay, what are your storage practices? Okay, then what are your thoughts around these three steps, like every step of the way we, we had ethnography studies where we went into homes of gun owners and say, Hey, show me where you keep your gun. Um, and, and then all the way through to creative testing and making sure that the work that we were doing, um, really resonated. But I think the, the biggest piece of the creative that we, we really spent a lot of time on once we understood their thoughts on gun ownership, when they understood sort of general safe storage practices was around how do we talk about suicide? How do we talk about gun suicide? Because that was, we knew, as I think Alex mentioned at the beginning and, and Susan did too, like unintentional shooting is an easy way in. You talk to parents about their kids and keeping guns away from their kids. They're like, oh yeah, I should lock yeah. my gun up so that my four-year-old doesn't get a hold of it. Like there isn't a ton of tension there. It's more of an awareness. Like once you know, you kind of do the thing. Mm -hmm. We moved into suicide and we knew we needed to do it right because there's also the mental health side of things and we didn't want to conflate the two either. This is really around access and safe storage. We spoke to a number of experts in suicide prevention as well as gun violence prevention even before we talked to the McKinney team who actually did the suicide work for us. Like, even, like months before we briefed an agency, we had an expert symposium just to understand the literature around what is happening. And then we talked to gun owners. I think we did probably three to four months of intensive exploratory research before we even say, okay, I think we understand 
the headspace. Now let's get to briefing an agency and actually writing a brief. So it is a, a very intense um, discovery process and exploratory process. And I, I always joke that we have this research deck that Alex has seen. It is 135 pages. Yes. And it's like our tome. And we go, every time we go to a new agency, we're like, here you go. Read this, make sure you you really digest it. And then of course we we go back and we talk about the, the sections that are really important. But we've got a lot of research that honestly we continue to refresh because, you know, five years ago, gun owners are maybe thinking differently. Now we're there's been a pandemic in the middle of it since we have started, you know, N Family Fire and we knew that gun sales soared during the pandemic. And we know the gun owner demographic looks different now. It's a lot more diverse. It's younger. It's in different communities. And, and how do we evolve our message around safe storage to meet the moment, to meet these new gun owners who may not have grown up with guns, right? The Back in 2018, a lot of the gun owners that we talked to, they're like, oh yeah, my grandpa had a gun. My dad had a gun. I grew up shooting. And this is just part of my culture. It's just part of my family. And now we hear from a lot of the newer gun owners that like, I bought a gun because I'm afraid, because I'm afraid of what's happening. The, the news is so awful and I see things happen in my neighborhood and I bought a gun. And their storage habits are very different from the storage habits of those who grew up hunting and knows that, you know, you got to right. put it in the safe. So it, it's a it's a, such an interesting topic and continually evolving. So we have to continually go back and talk to gun owners and make sure that what we're hearing and learning and putting into the work is the most current mindset. Yeah, that's a wonderful way of both elucidating, like there's 135 pages on this and then it can also just change at any at any moment. Like cultural forces, a bunch of different things happen. Um, Susan, if you'll let me, I wanna ask you one question on just the general discourse of sure. guns. Um, I don't know if everybody on this podcast knows the exact term tone policing, but basically a term used often in DEI, which talks about there's never the right time to have a conversation because we don't want to have the conversation. So we say, oh, you're too, you're too upset about this. So this isn't the right time to have this conversation or, you know, or, well, let's talk after this. It's basically kind of informs the general cycle of, you know, discourse around guns, right? Mm -hmm. Something happens, we would like to talk about it. Ooh, it's not the right time to talk about it. How do you break through that? Uh, beyond just, you know, this, which is proactive content that's out there rather than having to be reactive. Mm -hmm. But how do you, how do you break through tone policing on the conversation when it's most vital? So, um, well, there are a couple of things to recognize that the people who are saying now is not the right time to have the conversation are the people who are profiting off of gun sales. Yeah. Right. So I think it is something that uh, we have started calling out much. We, Brady, mm -hmm. not the Ad Council, not Alex, but we, Brady, have started and the whole GVP movement have started calling that fact out. Um, uh, just the same way you would call that out in a DEI situation, we need to call out that the people who are saying not now are the ones who are making money off of selling guns. No survivor, the victims of gun violence, the survivors of gun violence never say not now, yeah. right? And we have 
Brady ha is led, survivor led. We have a number of gun violence survivors who work at Brady, who are in leadership at Brady. So we talk about this all the time. And I, they, you talk to, you talk about the urgency. You, urgency is when you've lost someone to gun violence. It is never not the right time to talk about it. So, so a part of this cultural change is not letting that not now conversation dominate, right? And understanding who's delivering that message as people who do not want to talk about it because it, they are making money off of the epidemic of gun violence that we have right now. They are making the money off of the idea that you're not safe, so you need to buy more guns to keep, your, keep yourself safe. They're profiting off of that. We have to have an equally strong message on the other side of survivors and everybody else saying, actually, now is the right time to talk about it. And we are going to be talking about it, and we're not going to be ashamed for talking about it. So we, we've gone out much stronger um, in the last few years about that, and we'll continue to be much stronger about it in terms of having the conversation on our terms. Yeah, it's I powerful. Think, to be, oh, go ahead, Alex. I was going to say, I think in terms of tone policing too, it's also when we're talking about it, not um, some of the, on the other side of, I love that we're having a conversation around how powerful prepare for misuse was but some also were like why aren't we talking about taking guns away mm -hmm. and we we need to not be so um when people who are very um anti-gun get in the conversation and and turn it to it's all or nothing yep. if yes. we go there we're not going to make change because gun owners turn off People um, don't want to lose their Second Amendment right, and um, that's fine. We are here to say, okay, but what about public safety? And it's not a completely politicized and binary conversation. And I think when we do come in and we tone police things that are moving in the right direction, but maybe aren't what someone believes who... Um, sorry, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, but like, you can't just have this conversation about, oh, it has to be my way or the highway and understand that there's safe gun storage. There's also changing of laws and policies and come in. And when you look at something that is talking about safe storage versus policy change, say that safe storage is wrong oh. and, yeah. and police that. Like, and add, to, add to that, it's like, when there's a shooting and it makes the news and there's sort of that cultural moment, what a lot of folks feel is helplessness. Mm -hmm. It's yes. oh, it is happening again. Like, what can we do? And so I think at that moment, which is, you know, the day of the shooting or the day after the shooting, when it's in the news and you're hearing about it, what's important actually is our solutions, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, we need to all feel like there's something we can do and whether you're, so if you're a gun owner, what you can do in those moments is safe storage. That is a very easy thing to do that does not, you know, does not infringe on your right. Um, so as a, either as a parent, as a gun owner, that's something you can do. As a non-gun owner, you know, what is, what can you do? Maybe that is legislation, policy, talking to your representative. Like there, there are things that we want to make sure we give everybody a role to play and think about gun violence prevention 
not as a political issue, but gun violence prevention is a public health issue where there yeah. are solutions for everybody. And so like, I absolutely hear you, Jeff, that like when it happens, there's like, no, it's thoughts and prayers. That's all we can do right now. And we can't yeah. talk about anything else. I think that is a kind of a false narrative because that is the moment to galvanize the solutions, whatever the solutions are. You know, in Family Fire, we are in one lane. And then I know, Brady, you all have a lot other work around policy and legislation. All of that is important. And I think together, all of those solutions together is how we can curb the epidemic. And and it's it's normalizing the conversation that the the voices on either side, the thoughts and prayers and the ban all guns are actually a tiny, tiny percentage yes. of of what of of people who actually think either one of those. Right. So mm -hmm. the fact that it's taking up so much of the mind share and the media conversation is is a shame. So part of, as Rose said, one of the things that we say when people say, what can I do in those moments when you feel helpless is we have to normalize this conversation, right? So we can't be so afraid. And that starts with all of us. It starts with me, who was just down in Houston last week and had a conversation about safe gun storage with my college roommate who told me she doesn't store her gun safely, right? That starts with a conversation with my friends, right? Um, even though I don't own a gun. So there are things that we can all do is start to ask those questions around those around us from a pace of love and care. And I care about your safety as opposed to the, these loud political voices, which are not really representative of what's going on. Ro, you, you touched on, so basically, again, thank you everyone for doing my work for me again, but Ro, you touched on that part of it, right? That um, you know, there is a, a helpless feeling, right? Because it seems to repeat itself, repeat itself, repeat itself. And then Susan, you talked about this collective empathetic middle that does exist, right? And so if we can immediately change the conversation to no, 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 not polarized sides, but here are these actionable steps that are worth taking, can be taken, and we can rally people around that, then hopefully that's where we get to. Um, yeah. You know, I, I still remain optimistic, um, but I can understand where, you know, people are impatient. And Susan, you are, you know, proactively impatient, as you yeah. mentioned earlier, and I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Thank you all for a wonderful campaign, a wonderful conversation, and getting a chance to talk about something really important. I thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot that can be learned from discourse in this brief conversation. And while there are many people that want change to occur, change is slow. It can't happen without acknowledging, empathizing with another opinion. It can't challenge an opinion without building trust and the way prepare for misuse builds off real data and real people's concerns. It's no fluke. And that's the name of this original podcast from the Shorty Awards. It's hosted by me, Jeff Barrett, produced by Judy Mansoon, cover and episode art by Chelsea Nizano, research and editing by Vinshika Trutavedi. If you like this show, please leave a five-star review, share, subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any feedback, guest recommendations, send an email to info at shortyawards.com or DM Shorty Awards on Instagram. See you next week. Thank you.